Good morning, everybody. And thanks. If you do need a Bible uh, and if you don't own a copy, we'd love to give you one. So just raise up your hand at some point and a friend will be by with uh, a copy of the scriptures. If you do have yours, why don't you uh, go to 1 Timothy 3 and we're just going to pick up where we started, uh, uh, ended last week. All right. 1 Timothy 3. All right. Let's, uh, we'll pray and we'll get right to work. Lord, Lord, we thank you for the morning. We thank you that we're getting close to the season where we remember your birth, your coming, uh, glorious, uh, because God is with us. And so now we want to think about what it means to follow you in light of your coming, in light of your life, in light of your death on our behalf, in light of your resurrection, in light of your promise to return. We want to be your people doing your work around the world. So, Lord, uh, help us to see what is right and true today so that we can follow you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. All right, so we're at the end of a section. If you're visiting us, welcome. We're looking at a series called Learning to Lead. We're looking at a letter in the Bible from one leader to a younger leader and to an entire church. And from this ancient letter, we're trying to see what it means for us to be Jesus-following leaders, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, school. Uh, you are a leader. It's already a fact. I'm a leader. Uh, and your influence may be small right now, but God wants to grow it. And you're also, though, a follower, and that's the, that's the challenge. Even if you're the top of your company, you're under someone else in some sort of industry. So even if you reach the top, like I don't know if you remember Martin Dom said a couple of weeks ago when he was here, he's on the top of his game, at the top of his industry, but ultimately our leader is God himself. And so how do we lead in a way that honors Jesus? Well, we're under authority and over with authority, so the question is, how do we live uh, like the people God's created us to be? Let's just ask. Think in your mind of one leader that you really enjoy following. Could be your parent. Could be a cousin. Uh, no matter who it is. Think of someone that you really like. You know what? I want to be like that person. Well, if you've got them in the frame of your mind, let's think. What is it about him or her that makes you want to follow them? What is it about them that makes them attractive? Well, in light of that idea and that question, let's look at 1 Timothy 3, and we'll just start in verse 1. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to become an overseer desires a noble task. Like, what's an, what's an overseer? The word here is episkopos, and the idea is a financial or business or civic manager. Think of an executive. Think of uh, someone who's a supervisor. And this is a common, ordinary word. Whoever wants to lead people, supervise, manage, guide, desires something that's noble. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I want to, and then think excel. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in charge. Uh, and as a matter of fact, he uses this word to describe a group of leaders in the church. He uses another word, though, and we'll look at that. We'll come back to 1 Timothy. Just look at the screen, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. There's overseers. Then he uses a different word. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work at preaching and teaching. The word here is not episkopos. It's uh, presbyteros or pres presbytery, and you probably have heard that term in church before, and it was a Jewish word. 
So Episcopos, manager, supervisor, everyone used it. You had one if you worked a job in first century life. But then he uses a Jewish word, which was meant for those who led in the synagogue. So Paul has no problem interchanging two words with the same idea. Just so if you see it in your Bible, overseer, elder, he's talking about the same kind of person. Why? In the church, you had Jews and non-Jews. So he takes a word from their culture, he takes a word from the synagogue, and says there is a group of people who desire to lead. And you know what? That's a noble task. So for those of you who are leading in a public way, thank you for rising up to the occasion. Well, what does it mean for us to lead? Well, let's just keep reading back to 1 Timothy 3. We'll look at verse 2. Now, the overseer, or you could say the elder, is to be, and here's a list, above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner that's worthy of full respect. And then there's this little parentheses. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church or God's family? He must not be a recent convert. He must not become conceited. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It's interesting with leaders, you got the devil mentioned twice. In other words, uh, a failure to lead like Jesus can lead anyone and anyone who aspires to be a leader. You remember when the Bible talks about the devil, it talks about Satan, it talks about someone who was created by God to be in partnership, to worship God, to do his work in God's world, and then pride comes in, and the devil falls into the trap that other people fall into, that we, we misuse this position that God has given us. Now, that is a pretty impressive and depressing list. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever wanted to lead, like, hey, you want to lead in the church? Bam! There you go. That's, that's not like an exciting list. We'll come back to it in a couple of minutes. I just want to see the big picture first. When you think about leading Notice the shift. In chapter 2, it's about what the church does. It's about what we do. So we looked last couple of weeks about how we pray in a way that's fitting and how we get rid of anger because anger in the church is not fitting. And there's a way that we dress. We looked at it last Sunday. How are we to present ourselves in a way that's fitting and how we lead together men and women who are equal in the sight of God but different in the way God's made us. And we do that in a way that's fitting. And now the shift. So there are things that we do, things that leaders do, and he went over that in chapter two. And now he's going to look at the way we do what we do. And there's a shift from what we do to how we live. When you think about that leader in your mind that you want to be like, it's probably not their expertise that's impressive. It's probably something about their life. Everyone's seen a famous athlete or actor or actress or public figure. And yeah, they may have some gifts, but usually the ones we look up to are the ones whose character, whose life is impressive, the way they treat people, what they do with their money, what they do with their influence. And so in the same way in the church, 
We're called not just to do stuff, but we're called to live in a certain way. And let me just give you a disclaimer. Some of you are like checking out because like, well, I don't even want to be an elder. This like isn't for me. Absolutely this is for you because the goal of everyone listening right now, everyone in this church is to live in a way that people want to follow Jesus by following you. That's the goal. So we're getting a list of certain types of characters of people who are in Christian leadership, but the goal is not just to say, well, that's them, this is me, and they have their bar and I have my bar. That is not the goal at all. But that we would see what it means to glorify Jesus by living in a way that's fitting. Now, we're going to get back to this in a minute, but I want to go on a little rabbit trail because, you know, why not, right? It's Sunday. Uh, A rabbit trail on gifts and offices. So this may seem a little strange, but this week and next week are about two types of leaders in the church. But I want to make a distinction because sometimes we just throw everything in one drawer and don't think about it, between gifts and offices in the church. Uh, Everyone, let's start with this, everyone's gifted. Just say it with me. Everyone is gifted. Say it again. Everyone's gifted. Now look to the person on your left. Everyone is gifted. Some of you are disobedient. Look to the right. Everyone is gifted. And it was very weird for those of you with no one to the left or right. Everyone is gifted. Everyone's gifted. So I, I, I want to make a distinction because sometimes we think in the church, I don't have a position, I don't have a role, so therefore I don't have to, and then you fill in the blank, I don't have to show up, I don't have to sacrifice, I don't have to give, I don't have to be a part of it. No, no, no. Everyone in the church is gifted. And if you read Paul very carefully, if you only read this, you think, well, if I'm not an elder, I don't have space. no. I'll throw it on the screen for you. Same author to different churches. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Same author, Paul, to various churches. And look at this impressive lift, list of giftedness. Notice, Romans 12, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. We looked in our series in Romans on these in super detail if you want to go back and podcast it. 1 Corinthians 12, There are people who are gifted with messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing. Whoa, that's not like administration or mercy. Miraculous powers. That's not serving or teaching. Prophecy. Notice prophecy shows up twice. Distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues. That's giftedness for the church. Interpretation of tongues, giftedness for the church. And then this other list in Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Notice prophets shows up in one sense in all of the lists. Prophecy, prophecy, prophet. In other words, there are many ways of expressing what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And so we have to remember we're all gifted and we're all involved in God's work together and it's going to look different and your expression may be different, but don't go thinking in church there are leaders and there are followers and they do the stuff and I watch. And we need to get rid of that kind of mindset and so I'm gonna go slow today and next week. Not just to go slow, but to entice you to think differently about your role in this church or wherever church you call home. If you're visiting, apply this to your church where you live and where you serve. You have a part to play and I have a part to play. We all have a part to play. And I want us to see this. I don't have time for the context. The qualification for being used by God in all of these ways has nothing to do with male and female and new to following Jesus 
and a veteran in following Jesus. It has nothing to do with your economic background, your educational background. When Paul lists all of these things, all of them have one source, the Spirit of God. They all have the same source. So if you have the Holy Spirit, which is another way of saying, if you are following the way of Jesus, you're indwelt with the presence of Jesus, who is the person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to actively use you in this thing called the church so that he will express his power and his mercy and his presence through you. And that could be showing mercy. That could be giving leadership. That could be oversight. That could be a word that's timely and is from God, whether you realize it or not, which is the essence of prophecy, is God speaking through a person in the moment. And most often when someone is sharing in that way, the person sharing doesn't even realize it, but the person who hears it walks away and says, oh my gosh, I think God was just in that. Most of the time, the person sharing in, in a prophetic way is not like, wow, this is from the Lord, but it's saying, this is what I think God is saying, this is what I think God wants you to know, and then the person goes home and says, man, I've actually been with Jesus. So men and women, young and old, experienced, new, rich, poor, we all are graced by God. So when we talk about leadership, we need to remember there's a distinction. Everyone's gifted, and some people who are gifted by the Spirit are also called to lead. Now, here's the question. Who's called to lead the church? Watch it when preachers ask trick questions. So who's called to lead the church? Now, most in America would say the pastor, right? I think that's just like the default answer. So who's the leader in the church? Well, or who is my pastor, singular, even if the church has 12 of them or 15 of them? Who is my pastor? Now, it's not a bad question. I'm not going to slam it. I just want us to learn to think biblically, all right? So we're gonna, this rabbit trail is about thinking about the Bible. Everyone's gifted, and who's to lead in the church? Well, here's the challenge. Pastor in the New Testament is almost always a verb. Now, English majors, what is a verb? Okay, it's an action. It's a doing. It's something you do. So most of the time in the Bible, when you see the word pastor, it is not a noun. What's a noun? A person, place, or a thing. Yeah, very good. A noun is a person, a place, or a thing. So here's the thing. Who's called to lead the church? Is it a noun, a pastor? If you think in the Bible, and again, I'm not dogging our culture. I just think we've fallen into these just traps of, you know, repeating what's been told to us. What you see in the Bible is pastors almost always in action. It's something that we do. So what is Paul getting at? In 1 Timothy 3, I think he's sharing with us two offices. There are gifts everyone has. There are offices. Now, what's, what's an office? The word office isn't in the Bible, but it's the idea of something permanent. There are things in life that are permanent. Everyone's gifted, but not everything is permanent. So what does every church need? I guess what bottom line. If you want to have a local church, what does it need? Well, gifted people, because the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people, but I think there are two levels or two offices as a way of illustration. Not super helpful, but maybe helpful. Mike Marshman is retired now, 
He's one of our leaders here, and he was the Portland uh, chief of police. So Mike, a person gifted in administration, gifted in leadership, gifted with experience in law enforcement, he, as a gifted person, also held an office. Now, the office was chief of police. Now, Mike has retired, so they got away with that position. There is no more, longer a chief of police. They got rid of it, because when Mike was done, the gifted man retired. Now it's chaos, <laughs> right? Well, it actually is, but... No, the office remains. So there are offices in our, and there is the office of the president, the office of the governor, the office of the mayor, offices in law enforcement, office in education. There is a principal or headmaster. There's a superintendent. And so the point is to have, to have order and thriving. You need all sorts of people with giftedness, but you also recognize there have to be some places of leadership where the person comes and goes but the position remains. That makes sense. So in the church, there are two groups of godly people, men and women, that are needed. These offices, when I am gone, these offices remain. When you are gone, these offices remain. Well, what are they? I think Paul is saying that their elders and deacons are the two offices, the two necessary groups of people to help a church thrive. And this may be common knowledge, but I'm going to not assume that. You may be new to church and following Jesus. So in the local church, who leads the church, to answer the question, is not the pastor, at least in Bible thinking. As a matter of fact, these groups are always groups. They're not individual. So it's not even the elder. It's not even the deacon. But when Paul relates to the churches, how do we thrive? How do we get everyone's giftedness and pull people together in a positive way so that, hear me, everyone is doing Jesus stuff? The goal of leaders in the church are not to do for, but to encourage you to jump in. And when someone is jumping in in an unhealthy way, it's the role of godly leadership to say, Wow, that character is out of alignment with the way of Jesus. So I love what you're doing, but we need to think about the way you're doing it. Because your gifts are important, important your contribution's important, but we have to do it in a fitting way, which is why this comes right after how we pray, how we dress, and how we deal with each other as men and women in our complementary roles by the way God's grace is. So I think elders and deacons, you say, well, where'd you get this from? Well, Philippians 1.1. Look at Paul's addressing the church. Paul and Timothy, notice, not one leader. Paul includes Timothy in most of his letters in the hello, even though Paul is most definitely the senior leader, but he's not the only leader. Servants of Christ Jesus. By the way, Paul's an apostle. Notice how he, he demonstrates his role. His gift is apostleship. His gift to the church is leadership in a big way. But he describes himself sometimes as apostle, usually when he's going to kick their tail. Usually. When he says, I'm an apostle, it's a slam to say you're disrespecting godly authority and you need to get in your place. But most of the time, he calls himself slave. Bond servant, lifelong committed servant of Jesus. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus to all God's holy people, that's the whole church, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together, notice he makes a distinction, together with the overseers, and I put in brackets, elders and deacons. So I think that what Paul's saying is everybody matters, everyone has place, everyone gets to play in the game, 
It's not like the coaches are highlighted or the two-star athletes. Everyone in except he recognizes in the church there are two groups. So what does Paul do when he plants a new church? Look at Acts 14, 23 real quickly. Paul and Barnabas, notice again, he's not saying himself, appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. So you notice in the pattern of, of gospel sharing and church planting that they go into community, share the good news, and then they recognize there are men, there are men in the church, there are women in the church who have gifted leadership ability, and he says, okay, in, it, in this town, these are the elders, and we fast, and we pray, and we recognize, and we say, do your work. And these are the deacons, and we fast, and we pray, and you do the work. So leaders need to be identified, which is why, for the most part, everyone serving in this church that is an elder or a deacon has been appointed. They've been invited. The leaders within this community have recognized, and here's the caveat, they're already doing it. You don't appoint someone and say, I think you could potentially be doing this Jesus work. What you do is you find people doing Jesus work and not worried about if they're going to get any credit for it or get any influence. And you affirm them and say, oh, you're doing the Jesus work. And you know what? The whole community needs to know that you're the kind of man, you're the kind of woman that is following Jesus, not perfectly, but beautifully in a growing way. And when we see young people, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and when they go off to university and go off into the world and they're thinking about church, we want them to be thinking about you. We want younger people to aspire to be godly men and women who are serving like you. It's a humble thing. So who serves as an elder? Today we're gonna focus on elder. Next week we're gonna continue in chapter three and look at deacon. Who serves as elders and what do they do? Let's just go back to First Timothy and we'll look at the qualifications. Notice it's about character. Paul says very little about what an elder does. And this is super helpful. Why? The church is around the world. It's global. And it goes throughout time. So if Paul said an elder, and then here's 10 things they have to do, in some churches they say, well, I don't know if we need any. Or I don't know if anyone fits. But rather, an elder is a quality of person. Look, notice verse 2. The overseer is to be above reproach. That is to have a blameless reputation. Not perfect. But you have to be able to look at this person's life and say, you know what? They seem to be following Jesus consistently. Next phrase. Faithful to his wife. Literally, a one-wife husband. Now, polygamy was a little bit of an issue in their day, but I don't think Paul's getting at, you know, he can't have five. Uh, I think he's getting at faithfulness to God above reproach and then faithful in the home. And by the way, I think Paul's not talking about just in culture there. I said last week that it was inappropriate for a woman to teach a man in public in Ephesus and in the time of Jesus in any setting. So I don't think he's saying here that elder is just like in their culture, but in our culture things are different. I think he's continuing the Bible story of what an elder is to be. An elder in the synagogue was a man. It wasn't a woman. And so I think he's continuing the thread of these are men who are faithful to their wives. And if you read the whole Bible story, which is why reading all the Bible is helpful, notice the trend. He makes Adam, and then, as we saw from last week, and then he makes Eve. Equally loved by God, but, but wired differently on purpose. 
equally capable, but given different roles in life and in the family. And in the leading of God's people all throughout the Bible, in the first part of the Bible, when you had the temple, which is where people came to worship God, priests at the temple were always male, always male. Elders in the Jewish synagogue were always male. Jesus called 12 men to be leaders with them and commissioned them as apostles All the while, men and women were serving at the temple. Men and women were serving in the synagogue. Men and women were serving in the early fledgling church. So this is not a matter of man is better or male is better. That's foolishness. Experience says otherwise. But in God's way of doing things, we want to serve in a fitting way. So we believe that elders, now caveat, not every church holds this interpretation, and that's okay, uh, but we want to be consistent to what we think the Bible is teaching. And so at 26 West, elders, this office is held by men, men who are what? Keep going. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. So if the moment you're thinking, well, why can only guys serve in this role? Look at the kind of men that God's looking for. Temperate, self-controlled, not guys who are chauvinistic or, or controlling, but rather respectable and hospitable. And then there's this line, able to teach, which is very interesting. Next week, we're going to look at deacons, and the list is almost the same, except this one little piece is the character trait and skill that's given to the elder. And so, so elders are people of good character who are able to teach. Now, when we say teach, we immediately think microphone, you know, iPad for modern day life, and, and this thing. No, pass on the truths of the gospel. So they have to be able to grasp the Bible enough. They may not be an expert, and various elders, Bible knowledge is gonna be different with their experience and time, but they have to be able, when someone says something, to say, hmm, they do the sniff test. Yeah, that smells like the Bible, that smells like Jesus, or something smells wrong, and we're going to find out, and we're going to evaluate. So elders are able to teach. So elders are called, I think, to do two things, guide and guard the community. Guide and guard. Guide people into the truth and guard from things that are off. Notice, uh, I'll put it on the screen, Titus 1 verse 9. Uh, he's writing to another leader in the church, Titus, and he t- says this about elders. He, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, that's the gospel, as it's been taught. Why? So he can encourage others by sound doctrine or sound teaching and refute those who oppose it. So some people are going to be 50% in the truth, 50% not. Some people are going to be 80% in the truth, but 20% not. Some people are going to be so close to the truth, but that 5% off is toxic. And so what elders are going to do is this team of people are going to teach the truth so that you know and you're doing the sniff test before anyone else. It's not about babying people or filtering. It's about equipping so that when you read your Bible and you listen to a podcast or you scroll through your social media and your cool person that you're looking up to is making a statement that sounds so attractive and good, something by the Holy Spirit will go on in you to say, wait a minute, that just doesn't sound right. And you learn to evaluate what is right and fitting and true. And obviously they need to refute those who oppose it. So when something comes up that's off, there has to be a group within the church 
that says, you know what, we're going to say publicly this is wrong and we're not going to live that way. And that is the group of elders. Now you say, well, how do you get that? How do you know that that's their role? Here's a funny thing. The Bible. Acts 20, we get an insight. Luke, who's with Paul, writes. He's there and sees when Paul meets the very elder team in Ephesus that we're talking about. Remember, 1 Timothy is written to the church in Ephesus. And look at what he says in Acts 20, verse 27. Paul says, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, which is completely cocky. I love it. (laughs) When I was with you, I gave you everything. No, it's not cocky. He's a leader. When I was with you, I taught you the way of Jesus. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So ultimately, these offices, these people, these groups, we see that the Holy Spirit's working in their life to lead. Now, what does he tell the elders or overseers to do? Middle of verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. It's not our church. It's not my church. This is Jesus' church. The overseers are to shepherd. By the way, that is a verb. Be shepherds. Shepherd is to care, to care for. So forget the word shepherd or overseer. Care for God's church, which God bought with the blood of his own son, Jesus. So this is, like, this is not a joke. An elder and a deacon are, are offices, these places where people are going to step in and, and give leadership to God's family. Because I know that after I leave, look at his descriptor, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own num- um, number of men will arise and distort the truth. He prophesies a somber warning. From your number, men will arise, distort the truth, in order to draw away disciples after them. So elders, he's talking to elders, not the whole church here. Be on your guard. Remember, I said that elders, their role is to teach and shepherd and love and care and also refute, to block, to keep people from, from uh, error. So eldering is, a, uh, eldering is a role and shepherding is a verb. It's something that we do. So going back to the question, who's called to lead the church? It's not a pastor. It's a group of elders. They care for people. And by the way, this isn't an excuse to say, good, thank God they have to do that because people are slightly annoying. And I'm just going to come to church and I'm going to do my little bit. I'm going to give on occasion. By the way, December is a great month to give. And, and, you know, that's it. Shepherding is their job. No, 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 no. The elders are called to guide in everyone using their gifts. So should only elders teach? Well, if it's only elders teaching, then we got a problem with 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 4 because that talks about all sorts of people teaching and guiding, and it doesn't there say that they're elders. So we're all involved in the work Elders are simply guiding and guarding, making sure that what you're getting is as accurate and as helpful and spirit-filled as it could be, which is why in James 5.14, when you think about church, you know, elders are there in times of need. Is anyone among you sick? 
let them call the elders, plural, of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And we do this as a team. And at any point, if there's something going on in your world, hear me, everyone prays for everyone. We have a prayer team at the end of this gathering. If you're sick in body, what should you do? You should respond and go over. There's a little sign over there. And you go out that door and across the hall is our office. And there are men and women who are elders and not elders, are deacons and not deacons, are new to faith and experienced in the faith, and you don't know who they are. They're human. They love Jesus. And they want to pray for you. Why? Gifts of healing and miracles happen not just at the anointing of oil with the elders, but in the church because the Holy Spirit is at work amongst all sorts of people, you can go to the elders and ask, now is everyone healed when the elders pray? Not instantaneously, but we believe that God works when we follow his way. And so if you're sick, you can call on the elders, and when we meet, we'd love to pray with you on a Sunday or when we gather on Tuesdays. All right, are we cool? I have hit you with a boatload, and I love you, and Merry Christmas. And if you celebrated Hanukkah, I hope you had a good one. But uh, I feel like you just fell asleep on me, so we'll lighten it up. All right, let's go back to a, let's go back to a chipper list. Verse 3 of 1 Timothy 3. Let's go back to the list. Not given to drunkenness. Elders shouldn't be drunkards. That's good to know. Not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not lovers of money. They manage their family well. Their children obey them. It doesn't mean their children always turn out the way every parent wants. I mean, what parent doesn't want the best path for their kids, but ultimately kids choose their own path. So this is not about having perfect kids. It's about they taught them in the way of Jesus. They gave them examples of Jesus' likeness. And sometimes elders' kids go off. And again, that doesn't mean they're not qualified to serve. We look at the pattern of their life. Because of their life, they had the best example of Jesus. If anyone can't manage their own family, how can they take care of the church? Elders aren't perfect, but they're experienced in the faith. So verse 6, they can't be a recent convert, or he may become conceited, following the same judgment as the devil. They must also have a good reputation with outsiders. So it's not like elders are just good Jesus people at church. This has been the tricky one. They have to have good reputation with outsiders so they will not fall into disgrace and in the devil's trap. So we're looking for elders who are men who have a good reputation inside the church and outside the church. Again, not perfect people. So I want you to think well of your elders, but I want to be careful. There's only one Jesus. He died and rose again to save you. Everyone else falls short. But these are men that you should be able to look up to and say, you know what? Uh, as I grow in my faith, I want to be like you like you're following Jesus. And if there are big areas of someone's life where you say, like, wow, I think that's contrary, then that's when you have a challenge in the church. All right, how do we live this out at 26 West? And then we're gonna respond and think personally about your life and your character and then respond and worship. Elders serve and team. Three things I want us to see for us as a church. Elders serve and team. So there's no one person who leads a church. And like I said earlier, it's broad. When, when Paul says elders and deacons, he doesn't give a list of 30 things that they do. He simply says, you should have them, go for it. Like, have them and figure it out. But for us, elders focus on teaching and care. So I happen to be one of the elders, and my role, this is going to be very confusing, so just nod and pretend, all right? I'm an elder, but I'm all the pa also the pastor of teaching and leadership. So on our elder team, the church has recognized that 
one of the gifts that God's given me is to teach. Doesn't mean I teach all the time, but I guide it and we do it in conversation. So the next series we're talking about as an elder team first, praying about it, thinking about it. I'm like, guys, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And when we finalize it, we go, yeah. Then I lead the who's doing what and when, like chopping it up into week by week passages. And I'm going to be gone. So, hey, Steve, would you teach? I'm going to be gone. Hey, Scott, would you teach? I'm going to be gone. Nate, would you teach? And others. And uh, uh, Brian Hogan, would you teach? And there are others in the community. So you don't have, hear me, you don't have to be an elder to teach, but it's led by a team of of elders. Does that make sense? So that's, that's, um, that's what we do. And then in our scenario, this is not biblical in that you don't see hiring of staff in the Bible, but it's a modern helpful thing. Our elders hire the staff, including pastors. So our elders are the key leaders within this church that guide their teaching, our the- theology, and our practice, how we live, And then they also have a practical function because churches in the first century didn't have their own buildings, didn't have big budgets, and everyone was serving as a volunteer. But we're going to see in 1 Timothy 5 that there are roles within the church that are worthy of double honor, especially in the role of teaching and preaching. So there are times where it makes sense to have people so focused that we can do it like with a game and do it well. And so our elders hire, spend most of their attention on hiring pastors because they're overseers under the guidance of our elder team. So I know that's very, because most people just think pastors lead the church. Now, let me really confuse you. Is every pastor in our church an elder? No. Our elder team isn't huge. We hover between five and seven. Right now we have six. And that's okay. Because teachers are, uh, pastors are working with our elder team to make sure our, our pastors have the same character as elders. Absolutely, yes. We use the same grid. And so in our local church, and hear me, we're not the only one that does it this way, but most do it a different way. We make a distinction between elders and pastors. For us, a pastor is someone who is hired by the elders to partner with this elder team to get the job done. So most of our elders are not on the payroll here, but pastors are full-time employed to lead large groups of people. Remember, everyone in the church is shepherding. You are shepherding people. You're caring for people. You're loving people. You're guiding people. And our pastors are overseeing large groups of people who are shepherding people. Now, if that's confusing, we've got a podcast. You can listen to it five times. And you can listen to it in English or English because it's not in Spanish. And why is this helpful? I think this is super helpful because the Bible is super clear where it needs to be clear and broad where it needs to be broad. And I think by the Holy Spirit, the role of elders and deacons can be various in different churches. So you say, well, I came from a church that did it this way. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I came, in the church I came from, the pastors were the elders. Fantastic. That You could do that as well. Uh, I've worshipped in churches under a mango tree where everyone's dirt poor and everyone's just doing whatever they can. And I've also preached at churches that have 10,000 people and TV cameras. And their leadership teams need to be different based on the need. But the two non-negotiables 
in any community are elders and deacons. And the fundamental thing I want you to think about as we respond to worship is not those roles. And we say, oh, well, I may never be one of those roles. In one sense, hallelujah, you have your role. And so this is not about elders and deacons being gifted and you being spectator. It's about everyone exercising their God-given, Holy Spirit-driven abilities, enablements, presence, power of God, so that we all get God's work done together. So let's flip it to you. How are we, you and me, how are we becoming more like Jesus? When I look at this character list, it's challenging. And I remember for years I thought to myself, man, I don't know if I ever want to be an elder. They're the people who end up going to the electric chair. Like, this is terrible. Who would want this role? And then the more I've read, the more I've been around, the more I realize it's actually just being Jesus-focused. And I realize, you know what? I guess, yeah, I am Jesus-focused. And then when we were one church called Solid Rock, the elder team invited me to join, and I was honored to be a part of that. And then we planted our church. Ultimately, it's about character. So let me ask you. That's about we. Let me ask you. Are you growing in Jesus like character? Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Look at the specifics. Treating other people, which is most of it. Uh, caring for money. Are you engrossed with money and the pursuit of money? Or are you seeing resources as all gifts from God and all in God's hands and that you're just a manager of God's resources? Godly character is about all of life. Faithful to one husband, uh, faithful to one wife, or faithful to one spouse. In your particular case, if you're in a relationship, are you living faithful? If you're single, are you living faithful to Jesus in your singleness? Uh, if you're divorced, are you living faithful to Jesus in this newfound relationship, in this new freedom? Are you honoring him above all things? This is all about all of us growing more like Jesus. And the goal of everyone in this church and his leadership team is that you are quote unquote elder qualified whether you're called to be an elder or not, that you would live in the way of Jesus, that people would say, I want to follow you as I follow the Lord. Secondly, how are we honoring the leaders God has put our way? How are we honoring the leaders? If, if you've been given people with authority over you, are you honoring them? So that could be if you're in one of our 26 West communities, there are people in your group, by the way, who are opening their home up for you to come. Now, that might seem like a big deal to you. If you've never done it, it's huge. They're vacuuming and polishing and caring so that you have a place to meet with Jesus as people come together. Are you honoring them? You may be serving on one of our teams here. You, you say, well, I'm part of setup or I'm part of communion or I serve with the kids or I serve with the youth on Wednesdays. Are you honoring the people what does it mean for you to honor them? I'll let you figure that out. But by the way, it is December. And this is kind of a cool kind of time of year where we recognize the giftedness of people. I'm, am I saying you should get them something for Christmas? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. You should honor them in a way that's fitting. And that thing for Christmas may not be money, but it may be a word. It may be a prayer. It may be love. It may be an act of kindness. I'm just saying we should, we should be the kind of people who recognize authority is a gift of God. 
and we live under authority because we're under his authority. And by the way, and then God gives us authority. And most of us disrespected our parents until we became parents. <laughs> and then we learn, like, shoot, that's hard. And then we get a different perspective. And so in the same way in the church, let's just live as the people of God, everyone humble, everyone servants, but two offices, elder and deacon.